can't sleep I count my blessings instead of sheep I fall asleep counting my blessings When my bankroll is getting small I think of when I had none at all I fall asleep counting my blessings. Well, good morning, Shiloh. My name is Ed Hires. I'm one of the pastors here at Shiloh. And on behalf of all the uh, staff, we want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. So, name of the movie. White Christmas. How many people here have never seen White Christmas? Raise your hand. Let's all bow our heads in prayer. <laughs> Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. All right. Well, I'm going to encourage you this Christmas season to watch that. It's really cool. And who's singing the song? Who's he singing to? Yes. Okay. And did you know that this was not the movie? That introduced the song, White Christmas. Who, what movie was it? Holiday Inn. Give that man a prize. Okay, Holiday Inn. Do you know that the, the Holiday Inn was actually filmed and published in 1942? It won an Academy Award for Best Original Song in 43. Do you know it would be 12 years later before White Christmas actually was put out? Holiday Inn was a big, big hit back in the day because of a number of things, World War II going on. It was, um, was an interesting time. So, hey, that particular movie tells us to count our blessings, which I think goes well with our uh, series that we're just finishing up today. So count our blessings instead of sheep. Does anyone know where the whole concept of counting sheep to fall asleep comes from? All right. Fortunately, no one knows. That's good. Um, So many, many centuries ago, shepherds would have to gather their flocks into the sheep pen at night in order to protect them from wolves and other things in the dark going on outside. But they were many times concerned they didn't get all the sheep in, which means they would have to go out and find whatever. Remember the lost sheep? Okay, so they would count them. And if the count was what it should have been, They could rest easy, and they would fall asleep. So I don't know when you'll ever be able to use that, but now you know. All right, our message title for today is Blessed to Tell His Story. You know, next to Easter and Christmas, because of the profound meanings in those two holidays, my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. Why is that? Because it's a time that we Americans stop for just a moment, just this day, And we are grateful for the many, many blessings we have. And do you know how many times in the Bible the word blessed is used or blessings or bless uh, different derivatives of that word? Do you know how many times? 508 times. Do you have any idea how long it took me to count those? Thank goodness for Google, huh? Um, So let's take a moment and just look at this definition of what it means to be blessed. And it, here's what it means. Receiving an inheritance or something of value, 
enjoying happiness, having pleasure, contentment, and good fortune. You see, as Christians, we are truly blessed. And the Bible says in everything give thanks because of these blessings, this inheritance that we have gained by salvation. And with that in mind, another word for thanksgiving is being grateful. And many, a number of years back, and I've read this more than once at Shiloh on Thanksgiving, but I want to read it again because, you know, it's not only, it's not only Jesus Christ that said in everything give thanks. There's a reason he said that. And believe it or not, this article comes from the Wall Street Journal. Okay, now, how many people here read the Wall Street Journal on a regular basis? All right, Mike. So there's two hands. I don't read it as much anymore, but here's what it said. Thank you. No, thank you. Grateful people are happier, healthier, long after the leftovers are gobbled up. It turns out, this is a quote from the article, it turns out giving thanks is good for your health. A growing body of research suggests that maintaining an attitude of gratitude can improve psychological, emotional, and physical well-being. Adults who frequently feel grateful have more energy, more optimism, more social connections, more happiness than those who do not. According to studies conducted over the past decade, they're also less likely to be depressed envious, greedy, alcoholics, they earn more money, sleep more soundly, exercise more regularly, and have greater resistance to viral infections. A merry heart doeth good like a... That's not in the article. But a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, the Bible says. As simple as it sounds, gratitude is actually a demanding, complex emotion that requires self-reflection, the ability to admit that one is dependent upon the help of others and the humility to realize one's own limitations, Dr. Emmons says. One simple way to cultivate gratitude is to literally count your blessings. Keep a journal and regularly record whatever you are grateful for that day and be specific. Now, so, first of all, it's in the Wall Street Journal. You don't get in the Wall Street Journal if you're a wacko. But this was written by Dr. Emmons, who is a well-noted psychologist who teaches psychology at the University of California at Davis. Can you imagine the Wall Street Journal publishing something like this? It's amazing. So this coming Thursday, I'd like to encourage all of us to pause and hopefully do that throughout the coming year to remember all that we are blessed with, despite, by the way, whatever situations you may be facing in your life. So what I want to do today is talk about the most important blessing that you and I have as a result of accepting Christ as our Savior. You see, you and I are blessed to share Christ with those who don't know him. See, those of us that are committed to Christ, we've experienced his grace, his mercy, his power, his forgiveness. And we're blessed to share that to share this Jesus with those who don't know him. A biblical term that's common in this whole area, of what does it mean to share, to share Christ? It, it means to, to be involved in evangelism. And in some ways, we're then, if we do that, we're evangelists. But do you know that due to many of the public demonstrations of this, 
for example, what happens on TV at times. In our world today, these words bring a very negative reaction from a lot of people, those, especially those, not always those only, but those who don't know who Jesus Christ is. In fact, there's this book that was published a number of years back called In the Day That America Told the Truth, where they asked people randomly, would you, ra- would you rank these jobs, these professions, and tell us which ones you think have the highest integrity and which ones you think have the lowest integrity? What's alarming, they had 73 different occupations listed. And America ranked the evangelists, the ones that affect our ability to share, they ranked them third from the bottom. They ranked them lower than car salesmen. If you're a car salesman, that's not meant to be uh, an issue. Sorry, Paul. Um, But the image of car salesmen, they ranked them lower than lawyers. Sorry, lawyers. Um, They ranked them lower than prostitutes. In fact, the only ones below them were drug dealers and organized crime members. And you wonder sometimes, that's a random sampling, you wonder sometimes why it is difficult. See, so many times when we're trying to share that, we run into this skepticism, and it usually manifests itself in a, couple, in a number of ways, but here's a couple. You know, if you want to, here's what, they, what people would say, if you want to be one of those people, that's fine. I'm cool with that, but don't try to convert me. Or how about this one? Don't tell me things like, I need to be born again, and if I'm not, I'm not a good person. Just keep it to yourself. Don't push that stuff on me. See, and for many believers, so that's, that's what the unbelievers say, but for many believers, we have two emotions sometimes when we think about the need to share Christ with others that don't know him, and, and the two emotions are, are guilt and fear. You see, we know, we know from you know, what we've heard, and, and we kind of know instinctively we should be sharing Christ, but we don't because it's not comfortable for us. And fear, because when we, when we do feel like, okay, I need to do this, we worry sometimes. What would happen if I say the wrong thing? What happens if I offend them and I lose this relationship that I value so much? But with both of those, the Bible says this, it hires, you're blessed to be able to share. You're blessed. That's what the Bible says. See, it's, it's part of who we are as Christ followers. But if you've ever felt insecure, you're not alone. But I want to use a model in the, in the New Testament. We're going to look at Paul, okay? Now, maybe you can't identify with Paul specifically, but let's see what he said. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, even though I am a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did so, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, 
I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of Christ. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Share in its blessings. So this is what he said. I'm free. I've been set free by Christ. And I belong to no man, but I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul said, I became a Jew to the Jews. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Okay? I became all things to all men. Why? So that I might save some. See, those of us who are Christian, Christians are blessed, blessed by God to share. It is not meant to be a burden. And yet many of us don't. And why is that? So I want to encourage you today. I'm going to use two examples from Scripture that are evangelists that are highly unlikely to ever be evangelists. And hopefully when you see these two, you'll say, wow, if they can do that, maybe I can do that. They're worse than I am. Okay? So the first one is a Samaritan woman. Trust me, she was a very unlikely evangelist. Very unlikely. And here's what she teaches us and what we learn. These two, three words actually, but two key words, come and see. And we're going to pick up on that as we go through the balance of our message. See, there are times in your life and my life where all I have to do is say, come and see for yourself. Come and see what's going on. And then when we do that, the Holy Spirit takes over. So I'm going to explain that more as we go along. See, the Samaritan woman had some issues. First of all, she was a Samaritan. And Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Just to give you a perspective, the, the, Jews, the Jews lived in the south of Israel, and the Samaritan lives in, lived in the north. And when, they were, when Israel was put into exile, the Jews that were left in the north were intermingled with the Assyrians who came to take that land over. And as a result of that, they intermixed, and now many of the children born were not purely Jews. They were part Jewish. And the Jews hated them, which is really interesting, by the way, because the Jews in the south went to Babylon. They did the same thing, but, you know, didn't seem to matter at all in this. So, other problems she had, she's a woman. Wasn't a great time to be a woman, trust me. And she had one really big problem. We would use the vernacular today. She'd been around the block a few times, okay? Most people who knew her knew that she was an immoral woman, which was much, much more significant in this particular day. You see, many of us would have thought, how could she ever be an evangelist? That, those things disqualify her. That's what, at least that's what the people thought in those times. They would have never expected her to have any relationship with God. Well, one day she goes to the well. You know, probably many of you know the story. And she goes to draw some water, and Jesus is tired, and, and he asks for water. And she thinks, huh, what's going on here? You're a Jew. And it says he's there alone, a whole other story. But he's there alone, and she says, you, you shouldn't be talking to me. So we read in John 4 this story. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well, It was about 
noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, And who you are speaking with, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope and a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I gave them or give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come to get any water. Go and get your husband, Jesus said. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and you don't, you're not even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. The woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us, Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The woman leaves her water jug, very important to her, by the way. She just leaves it behind, and she goes and she runs back to the village, and she tells everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come, he possibly could be, could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. You see, all of a sudden, when this woman realized, not only did he tell her things about her present and her past, but he he said to her, I am the Messiah. And she basically says, hey, everybody, come see. See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now, let me ask you. You just heard what Jesus told her. Do you think that was everything? I mean, do you think that was everything she'd ever done? Of course not. But why did she say that? Because he told her everything she was ashamed of. He told her everything that bothered her day in and day out. And what she didn't realize at that moment is that Jesus was about to write her story. Verse 30 says, They came out of the town and they made their way toward Jesus, All she did was say, come and see. Come and check it out for yourself. You see, what didn't she do? She didn't go back to the village and say, okay, guys, I'm now supposed to be an evangelist, so look out, I'm going to lay it on you. Didn't say that. She didn't say, okay, we're going to start a Bible study, and I'm going to lead it. She didn't say, I want to go over those four spiritual laws with you. She didn't say, hey, if you died today, would you know for sure whether you're going to heaven or hell? She didn't do any of those. She didn't do any of those. What she said was, 
Come and check it out for yourself. But she told her story. Scripture says, and many of the Samaritans believed because of her story, because of her testimony. See, many people came to Belize simply because she told her story and invited them to come and see. And just like the Samaritan woman, you and I can tell our story. And we can invite people to come to church. We can invite people to come to our small group. We can trust that God will meet them there so they can find their story. Now, let me tell you this. When you share your story and someone seems interested in that story, you need to do something at that point. You may not feel comfortable, whatever it would take to literally lead them to Christ, but you can bring them. You see, you can bring them to Shiloh. If you're visiting and you're a member of the church, you can go there. You can bring them to your small group. Now, let me tell you this. Here's what some people think. Well, I don't know who's preaching today. You know, some I like, some I don't like. What if I bring them, you know, in a Zed Hires? Okay? Let me tell you something. I have been in some of the most wacko services you've ever seen. Wacko. And I brought somebody sometimes, and I've sat there and said, oh, my God. They will never come back to church. In fact, they will never talk to me again. And we come to the end of service. I turn to apologize, and there's tears coming down their cheeks. And I say, don't you realize this was a wacko service? I don't say that. Okay, I don't say that. But isn't, you know, when you bring someone to a church, you bring someone to a small group, you bring someone to a special meeting, just leave it be. Let the Holy Spirit take it from there. You've done your part. You told your story. You've bring them and said, come and see. Do you know the studies have shown that four out of five people asked to go to church that are not church members, if they're asked by a trusted friend or family member, will come to church? Four out of five. See, the Samaritan woman teaches us that sometimes all you have to do is tell your story, no matter how dramatic or how ordinary that story is. Then just invite people to come and observe what God is doing. And who knows, except God, what may happen in their life. So let me tell you about another unlikely evangelist. And this one's really a good one too, okay? And now we find this is a, is a, a man who's born blind, okay? And, and he's been blind his whole life. So as a kid, as a teenager, as an adult, he's never seen. Black, that's all he's ever known from birth. Never saw anything. And one day a man called Jesus comes along, okay, and Jesus reaches down. Now, this is gross, I think. He reaches down. Everybody's watching him. He picks up some dirt, and he spits in it. And he rubs it around in his hand. Now, I think maybe this guy heard him spit. I don't know. And he puts it on his eyes. And the people there are saying, ooh. And he says, now go and wash in the pool. And guess what? He couldn't even get up and go to the pool, right? He didn't know where the pool was. Somebody had to take him. Okay, and he goes, and when he opens his eyes, for the first time, he sees people. He sees colors. He sees the sky, the trees, the clouds. And guess what? What do you think he was like? First time ever. Come on. He was psyched 
He was super psyched. But as soon as he was in that state, some insensitive hypocrites, they called them Pharisees, immediately started to, to debate with him this healing. They, they said, that's not really real. This, that's not real. This Jesus, we know he's a false prophet. He's a sinner. He couldn't do that. And they started trying to engage, to engage him about the whole fact of him being healed. They basically wanted him to admit that Jesus was a sinner and he was a false prophet. So he tells his story. He says, I don't know whether he's a sinner, but I know this. I was blind and now I see. He just told his story. But but the, here's what I want us to take out of those two examples. You and I can tell our stories in the most different places. You're going to tell your story in a different place than I'm going to tell my story. But when we do that, when we ask God to help us, help us share our story, look out. He loves that prayer. See, I don't know what your, your story in, includes. Maybe your story includes that you were anxious, depressed, whatever the case may be, life was just too much for you to handle, and you cried out to Jesus, and he came into your life, and, and things just either turned around immediately or started to change, and you're not there anymore. Maybe you were addicted to something. Maybe something held you in bondage, and, and you found Christ, and, and that just started to just leave your life. Maybe your marriage was in big, big trouble. Maybe you knew Divorce was ahead. You met Christ, and your marriage turned around. That's my story. Okay, that is my story. That's exactly what happened to me. The alcohol, immorality in my life, you know, my marriage was basically over. And one day, you know, I knelt down by my bed, and I cried out to the Lord because I had nothing to lose. I had nothing to lose. And I'll tell you, in short order, God put my marriage back together. He delivered me from some of the addictions I had. See, you may say, I don't have a dramatic story. I don't, I don't feel like I'm this big sinner. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't know. So let me tell you the Sue Shaughnessy story. Okay, now Mike was a sinner. I had this unique privilege of having a, a small part in, in Mike finding the Lord, but Sue couldn't quite understand the whole thing. Sue was a good woman, still is a good woman. And she just said, I don't, I don't know why I need this. And it took a little while. Mike's a great salesperson. And finally, Sue gave her life to Christ. But she found out how amazing it was. She, she thought she was all set. But God changed her life. And see, so maybe you think, Ed, I don't have a dramatic story. I was at a service and, you know, the, yeah, you do. Because something changed when you came to Christ. Something changed. Some things changed in your life. And you can share that. You see, you can tell your story in a conversation. I was a business owner. I could call my employees together and say, hey, you know, I want to tell you why our business is successful. I could start a Bible study, which I did. You can't do it during work hours, before and after, at lunch, if people want to come. It has to be voluntary. You can't give promotions and bonuses to those that come, just so you know. But they came. And they came, and we saw so many salvations over those years. You see, there's so many different ways. If you're an artist, 
You can paint your story. If you're a musician, you can put your story to music. If you're a student, you can slip your story into an English lit paper. You can put your story on Facebook. You can blog about your story. You see, there's all kinds of different ways that you can just tell your story. It can be as simple as saying, here's what he did for me. Understand something. If you're going to preach Jesus to someone with no context of your personal experience, you will fail most of the time. God intentionally brings people to you who he knows your story will impact and change. It's not about going out, no offense, holding a sign, handing out tracts. If that works for somebody, that's great. But you know what? The thing that changed my life were the people who spoke into my life about how it changed them. Our story is key to this blessing of being able to share for God. You know, maybe part of your story after the story began is that, you know, you daily give yourself away for what God, what Jesus would have you do. Maybe you know there's a widow at the end of your block, and you see her out there struggling. She's older, and she struggles to shovel off her walkway. And you say, you know what? I can take care of that walkway. And for the rest of that season, you shovel her walkway. And what you're saying to her is, hey, I want to be involved in your life. Or maybe there's a single mom. She's not a believer. And your small group comes together and says, hey, she's ours, God. From then out, you go to prayer for her and you support her. You take her kids a couple of times a month and give her three hours to be a normal human being without kids crawling all over. At Christmas time, you say, she's not going to ever worry about Christmas again because we're going to take care of Christmas. We're going to get sizes. We're going to really make sure that everything's okay. Maybe it's somebody has a baby in your neighborhood. You don't even know them. You saw the balloons on their mailbox. Okay, but you bring a meal or two or three over to them. And you know what they're going to say? Why are you doing this? I don't even know you. All of a sudden, you have a right to tell your story right there because you've loved them You've cared for them, and you're blessed to be able to share why and to share Christ with them. See, when you know him, we shouldn't be able to keep him to ourselves. We shouldn't be. We're blessed to share Christ. First Peter says this, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you and me out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let me talk to you and talk to myself at the same time. It was a long time ago that I gave my life to Christ. Much longer than I'd like to admit but it was dramatic for me. But you know, it's been 40-some years, and it's easy for me to forget that. It's easy for me to kind of tell a testimony of what happened last month, which is great. But that's not the extent of my story. My story is really back then. It doesn't matter how old it is. 
There's a lot about my story that can give hope to people no matter what age they are. And some of us have forgotten our story. We've forgotten how I, I've forgotten how I felt that next day when I felt like the world just lifted off my shoulders. We forget that. I want to encourage you this Thanksgiving. Go back and look at your story. Remember your story. Write it down. Be ready to share. So here's what I'd like to ask you to do right now. I want you to think of someone in your life who doesn't know Christ. It could be, you know, your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your friend, your old college roommate, okay, the person you work with, person you see at the gym, at Starbucks, whoever. Then before this day's out, or even right now, if you have a smartphone, I want you to write it down. Here's what I'd like to ask you to do, to commit to pray for them and to ask God to use you to be able to tell your story at some point. So, so let me ask another question. Don't read into the question. Just listen to this question. How many of us here today, as I ask that, can think of at least one person in your life, maybe many, but at least one person in your life that you're affiliated with in some form or fashion who doesn't know Christ? Would you raise your hand if that's you? Yeah, most everybody in the room, right? Okay, so the second question is much more important. And that is, will you pray for them? Will you watch for an opportunity to be used to tell your story? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take just a moment now. I'm going to ask us to pray. I don't know how many you thought of, but I want us to pray for those people you thought of right now. And I want you to ask God to use you. I want you to pray for them to be open to the gospel and to give you an opportunity to tell your story. So let's pray for just a moment. So this is my last question, I promise. There may be somebody here today, and you would say, Ed, I don't have a story. I just don't have a story. I've never given my life to Christ. I've never accepted this Savior you're talking about. I don't have a story with him in it. Everybody has a story, but you don't have a story that includes this amazing Savior because you've never publicly confessed that, Jesus, I need you. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins, the things I've done wrong. I believe you rose again from the dead, and I believe I have the ability to go to heaven, not because of what I've done. I messed everything up, but because of what you've done for me. See, Jesus said this. It's pretty simple. He said, if you confess me before men... I will confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. You will never make a decision like this 
the impact, the, the just the strength, the, the immensity of this decision is beyond your ability today if you've never made this decision. You know, and I don't care if you've been to church 50 times, but if you have never stopped and just made a statement that says, God, I accept your son, Jesus. I believe that's the only way of going to heaven. You don't get to heaven because you come to church. You don't get to heaven because you do good things. You get to heaven only because you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray for those that may be here this morning. Lord, you said, if you confess me, I'll confess you. That's the only part. We need to look at that scripture. We need to know that. Father, thank you for someone taking the time for, for me at one point in my life. Oh, Lord, I was so lost. But, Lord, you had a plan for me. You started to build my story on September 5th, 1975. So, Father, I pray that today, November 24th, 2019, that I would pray that someone here would start to write their story. And, and Lord, what a pleasant, what a blessing just be a small part of that by simply asking. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you if that's you today. If this is a day you're here, you've gone through whatever, you're going through whatever, and you say, Ed, I need, I know, I want to change my life, to, to address some of these issues that are plaguing me. You know, maybe you, you've played like you did, but you're, you're deep in sin. Maybe, maybe you've just, you're struggling with issues in family or friends, finances. Maybe you're depressed or, you know, whatever the case may be, and, and you need to make a decision for Christ today. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. If that's you, amen. Anyone else? Raise your hand. I'd like to pray with you. Yes, sister. Anyone else? I'd like to pray with you today. Anyone else? Make sure I see your hand. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Well, Father, I thank you for these that have raised their hand. Lord, today begins a story, a story that is just going to be awesome as you move in their lives. Father, I pray that they would, they would just be open now to this amazing change that you have for their lives. Lord, I pray before they leave today, they'll come up and see me or see someone if they know another believer here in the, in the church. But if they don't, please, Lord, like to give them a Bible, like to just find out who they are and, and just pray more specifically for them. So, Lord, I just give this, this time to you. I, I pray, Lord, for us to tell our story, to say, come and see to let others find what we found. Father, burden us with a blessing. Burden us with this blessing to share your, your amazing, amazing, loving power in the lives of those you send us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, we love you all. Happy Thanksgiving. And I'd love to see those that raise their hand. If you don't mind coming up, just like to pray with you for a moment and uh, kind of give you a a little bit of help. All right, go forth. Multiply if you're able. <laughs>